Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I'm Andrew Beam. This week, we are going to be talking about the music that influenced us. For Beam and I, mostly as music fans and as shitty nighttime musicians, and for our guest as actual working musician, uh, Steve Patrick from Young Rising Sons. What's going on, Steve? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, dude. It's uh, nice to have you. We are going to be talking about uh, Steve's band, Young Rising Sons, who have a new album that just released uh, in April. Steve, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, don't don't make me tell you exactly what day because I've already forgotten. But it did come out in April. <laughs> yeah. Detail that isn't important at this stage. Yeah. But it came I'm, out in I'm April. I'm a true profession. There we're, you go. <laughs> we're going to talk to him a little bit about that and about the band, and then we are going to get to our main discussion, which is the music that influenced us. And for our beer today, we chose a beer that influenced us in terms of turning us on to craft beer. Beam, this was your choice. Talk to us about it. I mean, one, it was one that was in the fridge that wasn't like shit that we learned about years ago, but it was kind of serendipitous just sort of in terms of what we're doing here today, which is something that influenced us. And the reason why I chose uh, Frangis Connor, um, there's a half of Eisen, right, I believe. Yeah, uh, it's beer. a Weiss beer, uh, Weiss beer. It's, it, it's, um, it's one that when I was... I don't know. I don't want to like incriminate anyone. I'm sure this isn't the case. But when I was underage going into uh, the beer garden uh, in, in, in Albany at Wolf's, they, this was like one of the beers that was on. This is the one that was sort of, we were mainly drinking shitty, well, Killian's, I remember being my first beer with you, Corey, uh, was one Killian's of the first Irish ones. Red. Yeah, but we were mainly drinking like PBR and just shitty cheap beer, whatever we get our hands on. Um, but now, you know, being led into this bar in some way that I can't describe, we were, you know, given access to a bunch of different beers. This being one of them, this being one that always kind of stood out for me. Yeah, I mean, I love Francis Connor. All those German beers is what turned us on to it. Um, really got us into different beers. And, you know, Beam and I, we are planning a trek to Germany to taste beers. I would like to. Yeah, that was that was at least in the plans. But who knows? Who knows? At this yeah. Point. Steve, what are you drinking over there? You got you got yourself a beverage? Yeah, you're poolside. Oh, so man. does that like set give any sort of idea into what you might be drinking? Has that influenced what you may be drinking? I, I, I've tried to. It, I actually, uh, the other day I had a beer and I can't even remember where it was from, but it was literally called Poolside uh, and it was <laughs> awesome. But now I'm just, it's so hot here that I'm just chugging water to hydrate. So I, but I feel like I'm, I'm blowing it by not having a beer in my hands right now. Survival is key. Let's yeah, be I mean, honest. Hydration is yeah. important. <laughs> I'm just trying to make it at this point. Yeah. All right. Let's get started. Oh, yeah. So we are going to chat with Steve a little bit about Young Rising Suns. And Steve, where I want to start out with is, you know, you guys kind of went away for a while. You know, I saw you guys back in like 2014, 2015 range, and you kind of just reformed during the pandemic. So what was what was that about? What was that like? Yeah. So we we like a, a while back um, had had like parted ways with our label and it kind of just like took it just took a long time. And while we were kind of sorting that all out, decided to kind of like jump into some other, other ventures. Uh, we started another band for a little bit just to kind of like 
see if we could do it. It was more just like, you know, we were exploring producing things on our own entirely, recording things on our own entirely, and kind of like getting getting some other styles of songwriting out of our system. And as time passed, like, you know, we, we kind of started seeing our, our numbers for Young Rising Sun start to just tick up. <laughs> uh, and we kind of felt like, you know, at the start of the pandemic, it, it was just kind of a good time to, to bring that back into the world because YRS has always been something that sonically and like content wise has always just been, you know, kind of bringing a positive energy to the world. And they kind of felt like everyone, everyone, including us needed that. Um, and we started writing some songs and really without the intention of, of writing Young Rising Sun songs. And we kind of just wrote, we were doing it all over Zoom at the time because it was like early days of the lockdown. And, and uh, we just kept writing songs that were like, couldn't be described as anything else other than YRS songs. And we were like, maybe this is the time to bring it back. And we always kind of had the intention of bringing it back, but wanted to find like a good organic time to do it. And, and that's kind of just, it felt right at that time. Yeah, I don't know what you mean. You it, were we going through some dark times? Do you think? I thought I thought everything yeah. was like peachy keen. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I beat like my fifth video game that I put like 160 <laughs> hours into, I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something else. <laughs> I gotta like, do something, something more that productive. At least is, like creative. Yeah, exactly. You guys weren't doing anything, and you just saw the number, the numbers, just like on what you, the listens that you guys had going up, pretty much. Yeah, it was very odd like we kept seeing our monthly listeners uh, on spotify in particular just kind of kept going up and we're like i think people just need like you know there's more people listening because more people are just at home doing nothing and, and obviously music is a pretty important part of life um uh, and that we just kind of kept seeing numbers go up and up and we were like you know maybe maybe people need this right now so we should give them something else to listen to other than just our back catalog yeah absolutely and you know you mentioned you live in Brooklyn. I know not everybody does. So when you guys are writing songs and when you're doing that process, how do you guys how do you guys go about that with fitting the different parts together? Yeah, so originally, like, I mean, during COVID times when we were writing, we were doing, I mean, it still is COVID times, but early times when, when you know, everything was extra scary and we were all doing it apart. We were actually doing a lot of stuff over Zoom where you know, we would get together and write songs. And then um, Andy would usually start kind of like the, the, he would start fleshing out, recording some of the parts um, and then like send it over to one of us and we would kind of track something and, and kind of like scrounge up demos and stuff like that. Um, and then kind of throughout the process, we, we eventually, you know, were able to kind of get in the room together. Uh, and we, we rented a studio in Brooklyn, like our own space. Um, and we've been doing it all on our own, which has been really really awesome and rewarding but also like definitely a learning curve um so we were in brooklyn started kind of just like tracking stuff on our own uh from like you know drums guitar bass piano what have you and vocals and, and it was i don't know just kind of like step by step like that and we all just kind of found a central meeting point in brooklyn to do that so in terms of like you know just i know there was some people that we talked to that maybe not writing an album but releasing it still in the pandemic i mean were there any sort of thoughts about just possibly not be i mean i guess things now are kind of opening up more but like not being able to tour or just it not being the right time during everything like did that ever come up yeah definitely I, it was you know just in general it was kind of scary we we put out like a, a first song just kind of be like all right let's just like see what happens and we didn't announce it or anything we just <laughs> literally like five minutes before it came out we're just like hey we're back also here's the song um, and people were really pumped about it. And that kind of like 
quelled a lot of our fears about like you know releasing music and then not really being able to tour to support it so we did we put a couple songs out um that kind of led into our I, I don't really know what to call it ep album it's, it's like too long for an ep too short for an album um but we we do plan on releasing more songs like with it uh you heard it here first like a little like the luck <laughs> situation i think um but yeah we so we kind of like you know put a couple out and people seem really pumped and we're like you know this is just it <clears throat> like our whole thing is just we wanted to get music out there and and into people's hands and and like we wrote so many songs over lockdown that we're like we didn't want to be too precious about it either um and just wanted to kind of like get stuff out there and, and get the ball rolling again and and we're like you know touring is obviously a huge part of our our band and what we do but um something that we'll we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it yeah, I mean, now that things are starting to open up again, do you guys have any plans for tours? Do you have any shows lined up? How's how's that looking kind of as things are returning to some semblance of normal? Yeah, so we we've we're like in preliminary talks. It's kind of funny. It's like there's such a logjam now because people are getting vaccinated and and like every act in the world now is like, "All right, we're going to try and tour in the fall." Um, yeah, dude, New York like, literally just announced today that they're going to, like, remove mask mandates. Like, if you're vaccinated, you can have a full capacity Radio City Music Hall. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah. See, that's <laughs> it. And, it's, and that's the thing, too. Like, there's so much that's kind of just, like, happening so quickly um, that, like, everyone's trying to hit the, the ground running like that. And I think so we're, like, we're obviously looking like having some talks about it and trying to figure it out. And we, we really would like to, um, if not tour in the fall, hopefully start um playing some like you know a few one-offs here and there just kind of get the ball rolling but by spring we're hoping to be like touring uh you know as as like just kind of resuming our normal touring schedule again but we'll see it's, again it's a, it's a total crapshoot right now we're trying to just take it slow and do it kind of the right way and make sure things are safe and and handled appropriately so i i have a question and i don't know if you're going to be able to answer this this might be more of a andy question but you know, back in the day, you guys always had the bottle of Jack on stage with you. Mm. You're a little older now. Mm. You're, you're in your 30s. Is is the bottle of Jack going to come back? Hold on. What happened with this bottle oh, of Jack? Man. Was it just sort of like a set piece or? Oh, man. It got, uh, it got it, drank. <laughs> we would crush that thing. Yeah, it was. We, we did a tour with the 1975. And I think like halfway through the tour, those guys were just like, these, these guys are terrifying to us. Like we were just we were monsters. Um, but it was like we, they're they're like very polite, very quiet British men, and we are not. Um, wow. And it's yeah, it, but it was I I think I, Andy would like to. I'm gonna he's probably gonna like fill it with some iced tea. No, I, I think um, we're, we've definitely toned it down now that we're a little little older. Don't recover as quickly as we might have in the past. But we would just crush uh, like literally in a, in a night like just a whole bottle of jack it was like night it was rough yeah i wasn't um, sure the way cory was yeah. asking it if you passed it around to like mem- like members of the crowd just I, and and, I, and I, I was thinking I like would, in covid times i don't know like i don't know what oh the cdc's God. um advice or advisory is on <laughs> sharing glassware with random strangers uh but yeah i'm guessing I, that's I probably would, out i don't I don't know. I feel like they're probably not looking forward to us doing that. Um, no, we definitely, we, we actually would try. Actually, it was Julian, our bass player, was uh, on for this because he has a great story. There was like one night where uh, we were like probably like five minutes out from going on stage and Andy had this bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand. And he's kind of just like sipping from it. And Julian was like, 
hey man, like, can I can I get like a little swig before we go out there? And Andy Andy was like, he was like, oh no no man, like I, I need it for stage. And Julian just kind of like looked at me because the bottle's like it's like eighty five percent full. And she's like, what does he mean? Like how is he, he's not gonna like run out of this? And he gets off stage like afterwards and just Julian just like points at me and points at the bottle and there's like maybe a shot left. So I was like, dude, are you okay? Like this, and Andy was like, yeah, slow it down for the rest of the store. Like it was, we he went zero to a hundred real quick with that thing. That's like those guys <laughs> that you would see the videos of them like sculling it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, you look good now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's literally Andy. Like after like a couple, like after the tour ended, we kind of were like, we wow, that escalated quickly. Like <laughs> we probably should tone that down. Did someone bring a banner that said uh, intervention or? <laughs> <laughs> Our like fans were like, "Hey, we're worried about." No, it was, it was, they just let it go. Man, <laughs> someone should have. All right, so we're gonna transition a little bit now, and we are going to get to kind of the main part of our discussion, which is the music that influenced us. And like I said at the top, you know, for Beam and I, it's kind of as fans, we 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 held one special pick for our metal band that we had in high school. It's a it's a joy. Um, and we asked Steve to also come up with a list. So, Steve, why don't you uh, start us off and tell us one of those picks of something that really influenced you? Cool. Um, man, so I'm going to start off with, and this is like such a, as like a drummer, it's such like a cliche, um, but Blink-182, and I'm going to go, I'm not going to go with the, an album that, that like probably is, is, like I wouldn't consider this one my favorite album, but I would definitely consider it one of my most influential take off your pants and jacket fucking that genius title really <laughs> it's fucking hilarious like even my dad thought it was funny i'm like 11 years old getting it and he was like ah, that rules like it's so good um yeah I, so like even i listen to them since like dude wrench um i like love them yeah and it was it was like but that album in particular for me was kind of like my first time i, I had started started taking drumming a little bit more seriously um and it was the first album that i just learned like front to back as a drummer um and it was like you know obviously travis barker is an absurdly talented drummer um so just like really it like helped me kind of like get my chops as a drummer and and like really just kind of i like every day i would just go downstairs and try and play it front to back and it like was terrible and then slowly i was okay at it and then i was able to like actually play it and, and it was really like i don't know really formative for me as, as a drummer to play through. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for anyone of our generation, Blink-182 was huge in terms of, like, teaching people how to play music. I mean, anyone who picked up a guitar, one of the first riffs they learned was uh, Damn It. Damn It, yeah. I yep. mean, everybody. Yep. I, for, I, I mean, I played bass, so it was Carousel. Okay. Just because that one was oh, just yeah. that 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 one's just a fun one. It's one of those things where you like you think about it because I saw like Mark Hoppus started like releasing like the YouTube videos of like basically him just playing through on bass on certain songs, and you're just like, you know, actually, if, for as simple as a lot of the songs were, it's like you actually are very good. Like you're just you're you are a fucking like professional musician. Like and and it's too. It's just like you. Just, they, they were so laughable. Like in so many moments where they're, they're such goofballs. You're like, oh yeah, they actually like. They do know what they're doing, especially everyone always gave Travis Barker all the credit, but yeah, I mean, I think there's... I mean, the other guys were great. Yeah, 
And I think there's something to be said about the ability to write such great songs that are so simple. Like it is just kind of like T formation of power chords is like the foundation of all the songs, but they're also brilliant. So That's how I learned how to play. So yeah. yeah, that was kind of the other the other side of it too for me. Like the the songwriting aspect of it was there is something very masterful in, in the sense that they are taking these simple things and and like also crossing spanning genres like i feel like that album was, was a lot more pop it was like you know all of the songs were just amazing pop songs like if you were to strip them down to a different instrumentation like you like they could go beyond rock music and, and that and that was kind of my first introduction like holy shit like you could write like really crazy catchy melodies and and take these like really simple progressions but make them really powerful it was sort of one of those things where it was pop music for us, like sort of mainly rock fans. Like I know where like rock was just a thing that sort of obviously when it came out, it, it wasn't considered pop or this or that, where it's like now we're getting into a situation of like so many different subgenres of things. And like at this time, yeah, this is like the epitome of like pop punk stuff. And, and, and particularly this album came out, I think it was like the first one that I was around for. Like the introduction to Blink was Damn It. Um, that was Dude right. Ranch, right? That was on Dude Ranch, and then yeah. they did Enema, the and then State. Enema the State, which is where everyone heard all the small things, and you know, and what have you. So mm-hmm. you had that, which like I, I, you know, I'm I'm catching up on these things, and then the Mark Tom and Travis show, which that was just a bunch of dick and fart jokes that you know were perfect, and they were, you know, that that's that was sort of the introduction for me pulling. So this was like the first one that were like, now I am a fan. And I got to like listen to the whole thing and it was, I mean, it delivered on everything you wanted from Blink. And I was actually kind of surprised you chose this particular song um, because it wasn't always like the most standout, but it's kind of a sleeper because like when you do have like the, like right before the, before the hook you've got during the bridge, Mark Hoppus is doing that, da da like that whole part that for some reason will get stuck in my head. Like, and that's just like that, that is a particular choice that works perfectly for that song. So I'm kind of curious for you, what made, what was this particular song? Uh, was it lonely, uh, Lonely boy, story of a lonely guy. Story of a lonely guy. Yeah. What made you pick, yeah. pick I, this I, particular one? I, for me, I have this like extremely distinct. Um, there's like the intro of the song and stuff. There's like this little hi hat work that he does, and I remember like being, I don't even know how old I was at that time, but going to my drum teacher and being like, how how the fuck do you do this? Like, what is happening here? <laughs> um, and it like really blew my mind because it was like you know a lot of pop songs. Um, that I listened to up to that point was it's always like very fast, very ball to the wall, but I hadn't heard something kind of be like finesse in that sense. And that mm-hmm. like blew my mind. And then also from a songwriting point of view, you're right. Like those like, no, nah, no, nah, they found a way to take something that is like so quintessentially Blink-182 um, and just, I, I don't know, like really like expand on it and make it sound just that much different. And like, it, it was the first time I'd ever heard a song like really be like, just, I'm like, wow, this, this, is a, this is a pop song, isn't it? But like it was also <laughs> rock. It was really cool. No, I I, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't one when I because I'd heard mentioned like yeah, one of them's gonna be a Blink One Eighty Two song, and I I wasn't thinking that at all. And I was like, man, yeah, no, like once I saw, I'm like, I know exactly what the song is. I know the chorus. I know all the different parts of it. Yeah, no, yeah. I like the pick. Yeah, it's a great yeah, song. Right. <laughs> uh, so my first pick, I'm gonna stay in the pop punk zone. Is Midtown's album Save the World Lose the Girl and specifically the song Just Rock and Roll. This was an album and a song that was really 
kind of responsible for me getting into punk music. And it was showed to me by a cousin while I was on a trip in Portugal. I don't really know. My mom does this thing where she just tells me we're related to people, but she's like <laughs> never showed up in my life again. Man, I'm glad that didn't backfire for you in any sort of way. I'm really, really proud of you. Yeah, I know. It could have it could have gone a lot of different ways, but like I've never seen this woman again in my life, but she told me about Midtown. She told me about Newfound Glory. She told me about Juliana Theory. And wow. did you just meet? Did you meet an angel? Yeah, like, that doesn't. That feels like that was just like a weird divine intervention kind of thing. That it, wasn't a real person. No, they, but he was—he's related. So apparently, I'm related to this angel <laughs> who just like showed me good music when I was like 12 years old, and. <laughs> You know, Midtown, Save the World as the Girl was like the first album I looked. And then, you know, I spent six years of my life on the Internet on decoy music and frequency <laughs> and all these things, just like discovering all this new music. And it was really because of that that album and that particular song. And, you know, that was when I kind of picked up a guitar and started playing. And I tried to learn that solo from just rock and roll, which is awesome. And yeah, I mean, it's just a really, really influential and important album in my life. Oh, dude. I mean, I always loved it because like this is where I started, like at least getting into at least sort of like, you know, the lyrics of different pop uh, of all these different pop punk songs or just paying more attention to that sort of thing. And just the opening of it just being like, God, I wish I could hate you for the rest of my and then just gets right into the song like that. I always love that. That is like one of the best intros to a song ever and an album. It's the first track on the album. Yeah. No, I it kicked off the album. That's that's badass. I like that. Yeah, Steve, what are your thoughts on Midtown? Man, I think I'm trying to remember. I saw them when I was like super, super young, and I can't remember where I saw them. I think it might have been like the OG like Skate and Surf Festival or mm. something. I don't recall if they even played it, or maybe that's where I had like found out about them. Um, but I remember hearing that like literally that exact song was the first song I ever heard, and I I think maybe they were like on a flyer there or something. And I went home, my friend was like, yeah, how have you never listened to them before? And showed me. <laughs> that and sounds like, like every conversation we've ever had with our friends. <laughs> how yeah. have you not heard this? Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. He's like, where have you been? I'm like, I don't hang out with you. Where the fuck have you been? How are you not showing me? Um, yeah. So he played it for me and I was like, this is crazy. And then it, what is the, the track after? Is it, is it Recluse? Is that, I might be that. I, or it might be like a third track. That song always blew my mind too. Like the guitars. I was like, wow, you could do this. <laughs> and then I was like, I was just like looking for guitar players who could play that part. And I was like, okay, you're not in the band. You can't do this. You, you can do it. All right. You're in the band. You're in the band. <laughs> What's funny too. So obviously going back to your, uh, your story before about, um, the bottle of Jack on stage, the one and only time I ever saw Midtown was it was the lead singer's name is Gabe. Yeah, Gabe Saporta, I think yeah. is his name. Dude got fucking yeah. wasted that night and fell off the stage. <laughs> like everyone had to catch him and pick him back up. And I remember being a part of that crew, and it, like everyone was struggling because he was dead weight. There just it wasn't. He still had a microphone in hand. I don't know if um I don't I, maybe I'm, I could be mixing up memories. I don't know if Gerard Way came out at some point. No, that was that. Now I'm mixing up memories. <laughs> no, I mean the Midtown Live experience was super important to me too because it was like my first show. You know, I had been to like Dave Matthews Band and like Incubus before and like these big arenas, but like my first like rock show at a rock club was Midtown Piebald Armor for Sleep and a local band called Rory Breaker oh, at Rory Saratoga Breaker. Winners. Uh. And, you know, I was like 12 years old and 
my dad was in the back at the bar. Had to be. Yeah. My mom wouldn't let me go by myself. So I had to, you know, go with my dad. And, you know, at the end of the show, I walked out with a signed drumstick from the drummer of Midtown, which like at the time I thought was the coolest thing ever. Now I realize that this is just like rando dude in his 20s. But I I, I like to think it was a good moment for him. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You didn't want to be selfish. You were hoping that he had a he had a good time. Now, now I just hope like uh, here's this dumb twelve year old kid asking me for my autograph, and like that's I don't know. I hope it's cool. What do you think the chances are that he was drunk? Oh, he and was, remembers he, he none he of it. Must have been hammered. But he was very gracious. He was very nice to me. I I recall that. Steve, how many times have you been drunk and handed out drumsticks and forgotten all about it? Or is that really the answer? You just don't know. <laughs> The limit does not exist. Oh, okay. It, it's just so much. Yeah, there is. And hopefully, was, it picks back you know, up soon, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a time honored tradition that uh, fans and and band members alike all enjoy. <laughs> it's great stuff, uh, Steve. Let's go to your next one. What do you got? Oh man. Um. Yeah. I'm gonna look at my list. I'm gonna go with Cartel's Chroma, and particularly, I'm gonna go with Q and A. As two songs, I know. Um, but those They're kind of one. It, I me, literally had to ask because I was I I listened to it twice and I couldn't figure out where one began and the other one ended. Yeah, they're like ones. Well, and that yeah, that to me is why it's an influential album because that was like the first time in my I was probably I don't know sixteen seventeen when that came out and I remember um, maybe even younger. I don't age is it's it's a made up concept at this point for me. Everything. Wait, like how old are you? COVID year. <laughs> me? Yeah, I'm thirty two. Okay, well, yeah. I hope you weren't 16 because I, or wait, no, no, maybe that math works out. 2005, never mind. Oh, yeah, I can't remember anything. Everything's just like one blurred memory together. Um, <laughs> and that's the perfect example for this song because it's two songs, but it seems like it's one. And that to me was like the, the coolest thing in the world because it, it kind of like taps back and it's like a medley of all the other songs on the album here and there. Uh, and you can't really tell where one starts and begins. And, and for me, that was like, I was like, oh, you could do this on an album and like have things formatted so it just runs from one to the other and it's like totally seamless. And that was a really cool thing for me as, as like a musician and a songwriter too, where I was like, this is, I want to do this all the time. Also just from like a, a songwriting perspective, like man, that album just rips. Like every song is so good, so catchy. Um, I love the singer Will's voice in general. Like, the, there's some really fun guitar riffs here and there. It just, it's a really great album from front to back. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this album is like kind of underrated at this point because, you know, you talk about kind of classic albums from that era. It's Newfound Glories, self titled. It's, you know, Blink 182, just pick whatever one you want. And, yeah, you know. Any album. I think Cartel kind of belongs in the conversation. I love this album so much. I think Burn This City is one of the greatest pop punk songs ever written. I think the ending when they do the call and response thing and they have that guitar riff that goes into it with the with the uh, finger tapping, like that song's just brilliant. And, you know, we talked a lot about this idea of closing the album by bringing back all the things from the album. So when they start doing the call and response thing at the end of A with like, you know, burn this city callback, it's just it's so wonderful. And I love it so much. No, I think it's it's, like genuinely gives me goosebumps. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Like that's the first time I heard it. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And that that was actually I had a hard time. I almost picked burn the city because that is probably my 
favorite cartel song of all time, but to me, Q&A, I was like, this one just kind of encompasses all of them, so I'll just go with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of an important point to point out, too, is that, yeah, it might not be your favorite song off the album, but there are some songs where you're just watching them and you're listening to them doing something different, and as you said, it's just like, oh, wait, you can do this sort of thing? So I think sort of that whole... I think that's that's much to the song's credit that I literally had to look. I was like, wait, how much time is into this song? What song am I? Because I knew it was the two songs, and I'm like, wait, hold on, this they just flow around each other, right? I'm like, this sounds almost like the first song, but it like works out because that second part, like it 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 is sort of a different part, and it goes into the second song really well, and I love the way the second song closes with kind of everything that Corey just described. I'm gonna pump this album's tires a little bit. Do your thing. For me too, it was. That album in particular was like a really, uh, it was kind of like a stepping stone for me to find a bunch of other artists and like similar artists. And like, because that album, I was like, this is great. And anything affiliated with this band is great. So like anyone that toured with them, I wanted to check out. Like it really like was a time where I was like, I want to find out everything about this band and who they tour with and who they write with and so on and so forth. So it really opened up my world um in like the pop punk genre in general just like finding all new artists because of them and, and similar albums similar whatever it was like that was awesome for me that album like really kind of opened up my entire musical world uh beam let's go to your pick i guess the first one i'll talk about is danny brown's 25 bucks off of old from 2013 now i i chose i chose this particular song because i kind of wanted to just say more so that danny brown in general just as as a hip-hop artist he showed me like in a time where I thought like a lot of hip hop was like focusing on bravado. And I know this, this comes down to sort of a movement. Danny Brown for me was sort of the first one to just be like, yo, I got a lot of shit going on in my head. You know, what I grew up in wasn't great. Uh, made me tough, obviously. And it made me, you know, a lot of different ways where, you know, uh, it's made me who I am, but he was the type of dude that totally wore his heart on his sleeve and, and was really open about his life and the struggles that he goes through. And so with 25 bucks, I chose this one just because I think it's a really great bit of storytelling in terms of like a hip hop song about basically just how his mom would try and, you know, to try and keep themselves afloat by, by, by braiding hair, by sitting on the porch, like literally just the whole, the whole song just sort of like focuses around that. And then it kind of goes to also with Danny now trying to get out himself, but still, as he says, trapped in the trap, but you know, that sort of thing. So I just think lyrically, it's really amazing. I think the hook of it is, you know, it just gets stuck in my head that that can go on a loop and be played for you know all the time. And then obviously, um, with purity ring, both doing the production and the vocals, uh, I think it's just a really wonderful mixture of those two because you had like sort of this indie act that was out there that was that was getting high acclaim and partnered with sort of this underground hip hop artist who was known to be able to take pretty much any sort of beat you threw at him and was able to rap over that in some way or form. And this is one too where it's not it's not the Danny Brown you kind of know, which is like that high nasally, you know, feeling like he's here for a good time throw all the ecstasy and molly you can at him sort of situation no this is a more downbeat one it's him getting serious and uh, just it's it's a great track and and it's and it's centered or you know and, it, and it's on a great fantastic album sort of a, a sophomore release for him yeah i think what's remarkable about danny brown is his ability to paint this very vivid picture you know one of my favorite tracks from him is grown up and you know, the beat is super... It's kind of like a similar... It, it, yeah. it is, in the way that he's kind of talking about his life. And yeah. it's a super upbeat song and a super fun song, but he's got some shit to say. Right. And so, you know, I, I just... 
love the way that he kind of uses images and when he raps and when he sings, like you can picture exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. And you know, I, I, the music video for grown up is just fucking brilliant. Uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on Danny Brown? So this is an artist that I have been sleeping on and I, I had like never really dug into any of his stuff. Um, and then was like, okay, I saw it on your list. I was like, let me check this out. And like, really, like really listen actively because um, I feel like a lot of times I hear stuff and it's like very passive listening. Um, this and I like sat down. My first thought was just like, wow, this beat is sick. Yeah. This is like just yeah. everything production. It's like it's just so sick. Like everything that the like the synths they use, the sound, like it just sounded so so good. And then I was like, all right, let me go back and listen to it from like a, a lyrical standpoint. And just kind of listen. I'm like getting emotional. I'm, I was laying out by the pool, literally just getting like emotional. Like Danny, my girlfriend's looking at me. She's like, you're fun not a big deal it's really like the way he's able to kind of tell a story and 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 like put it to this thing but it all like at the same time is like you hear this song and you're like this is getting me hyped like it's just it's great it's a great song yeah and uh i mean that's really have you moved from the pool um me no <laughs> it was just funny like man i was laying up by the pool i'm like you know no just uh poolside permanently <laughs> I, yeah, I'm in Florida. I don't know what else to do. No, 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 that's fair enough. No, it was just really funny. Um, no, I, I, and I totally agree. Like, it, it is still, like, that's the one thing that's, like, kind of interesting about this album is that the whole first half of old is, like, him just, like, rapping about his life, like, getting serious about stuff, whatever's going on in his head, just his very different experiences growing up. And then the second is just supposed to be the party. The second half is supposed to be just be the party, like, anthems just, like, coming at you, which it's it's layered perfectly that way, even though... Like you said, there are some songs in that first half where you're just like, nah, man, you could play this at a club or just like anywhere and get people moving. And this is definitely one of them. But uh, yeah, it's it's always one that's, that that it was it wasn't my favorite on the album, but kind of like you know before like like with with his list, it's just it's more it, it's it, it is more something that I think was a really good representation of who Danny Brown is and what he's capable of. Yeah, I mean, when he does those party tracks, too, there's such an undercurrent of, like, darkness to it. It's kind of like what The Weeknd does on those early mixtapes where, like, yes, he's talking about, like, partying and doing cocaine and whatever, but, like, there's something sinister and seedy about it in the music, and I feel like Danny captures that really well, too, where, like, yeah, this can be fun, but there is some serious darkness to why this is happening and why I do this. And he's mentioned it in interviews, too, where a lot of the drugs and the parting that he does is to sort of really just avoid, not avoid, but it's dealing with depression. Yeah, He's been very open about his mental health issues. You know, it's part of the reason sometimes where, like, you know, you don't see him as much. Like, he's not out in the public, I feel like, as much as he used to. He's not posting as much, I feel like, on social media as he used to. He's got... He filled in the gap, like the broken tooth. He fixed that, which I don't know. I kind of like that about him. It no. was just like part of his character. It's like Anthony Davis's unibrow. You can't get rid of it. It's like a, it's <sighs> yeah. a trademark, man. Yeah. No. And then like to the hairstyle, like now he's got normal hair instead of like the like crazy straightened out, like to the side, like almost like he is an emo artist sort of thing. Like that's the other thing. He's, he was like one of, like one of the rappers that was always wearing like tight jeans and like that's, he wanted to be part of, he was going to be a part of 50 cents crew, but they wouldn't let him in because he wore tight jeans. He's like, nah, I'm not going to change. Like that's, that's not what I'm going to do. And he's carved his own path. So, but no, Danny Brown is just one of those people that introduced me to that sort of, I guess that era of rap where it was kind of getting, you know, talking a lot more emotionally and talking more about just life experiences 
um, you know, which obviously there was that Aaron rap before, but this just was a departure from, I feel like, what we were just coming from. You know who was super influential in that? Who? Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. Uh, Steve, what's, what's your next one? <laughs> Sorry, Steve, that's like a running joke where he hates Drake and I love Drake, so like I just have to point out when Drake's doing awesome things. <laughs> I just felt that the best response was no response. (laughs) Uh, Steve, go ahead. What's what's your next one? Oh, man. Um, Okay. I'm going to go with the band, the album, Mute Math. Um, And the song I chose in particular is Picture. I, Darren King is like one of the best, like most fun drummers in the world to watch live. Um, He's no longer with the band, unfortunately. Uh, But I like every chance I got to see them live, I would. And he, it was cool to me as a drummer because he was like literally the, like it was, he might as well have been the lead singer of the band. He would literally like walk out on stage last. Everyone would give him the biggest cheers. Like he was just such a character uh, and such an absolute monster of a drummer. Um, and I think that song picture is good. It's like all of his drumming is very understated, but he is able to like just hit a groove on a level that like I don't I, like you just it's you're innately born with that. Like you could practice all you want, but you could never just groove like certain drummers. Um and Darren King's one of them. And and that song in particular like really I think expresses that. He's playing these like little just like beats. It's just a closed hi hat kick snare for like ninety percent of the song. But he changes the rhythm and the pattern of it uh like just so subtly like every other measure essentially and it's just it's as a drummer it's like a master class in how to groove it's sick yeah i mean mute math was never a huge band in like my own catalog uh it was always a band that i kind of respected and admired more so than i like really enjoyed it so when you put this on the list i went back and i listened to the album and i was honestly blown away by specifically the drumming and I was like oh this makes a whole lot of fucking sense that Steve picked this because <laughs> yeah. this dude is absolutely incredible I remember seeing them I was, I think I was uh, 16 and I went to a show in Manhattan uh, it was the Knitting Factory which doesn't exist in Manhattan anymore I think there's only one in Brooklyn now um, love the Knitting and Factory I went and, what a place oh man what an awesome place to see a show and I remember seeing them and I was like just so blown away he like came out he walked out on stage um he came out like like the singer came out everyone else came out the drummer walked out last gets like the biggest cheers as a drummer i was like that's the coolest thing i've ever seen and then he you know plays with his headphones on and he and he duct tapes them to his head and it's like such a show um and the whole thing is just so like fun and ridiculous and i i like i love that so much and and that like was just an immediate fan from there on out no i mean i can imagine that seeing him live would just be kind of it would be one of those things where you're not even paying attention to anyone else who's on stage. You're just watching that. You know, I, I felt the same way when I would see like the fall of Troy because I couldn't take my eyes off the guitarist and specifically what the fuck his left hand was doing. And I was just like, how is this even possible? No, there's so many, there's actually, it's mainly drummers that I'll get lost in doing that. Like, like, so when I went and saw daughters in Boston, you know, your favorite band and it was, I know it, Um, you know, the, the lead singer obviously is the show in a lot of ways. That guy is literally willing to whip himself with his own belt if he's not getting the reaction he wants from the crowd, which I find okay. 
I mean, he's at least admitted he's got other stuff he needs to work on. Yeah, that's uh, some serious masochism. That <laughs> it's a little, it's a little weird. I don't know why. It's, I love him. He's got that animalistic uh, kind of, in, you know, intensity to him. But the drummer, I couldn't help but also watching because, like, what he's doing there, you know, we're talking like sort of math rock stuff, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, yeah, I'll get lost in watching a drummer. It, it, it'll be tough to watch the rest of the show <laughs> in terms of that. Yeah, I just anyone who's playing their instrument whether it be guitar or or drums or whatever bass any of that when they're just doing it masterfully and you're almost just like waiting for them to hit a wrong note they never do you're just like how the fuck like this person is a robot there's no way they're able to do this it's like actually unbelievable it's that's the best that's like my favorite part of going to the show yeah for sure i mean when there's someone on stage who's just doing something that you like can't even comprehend in your head how it's even possible <laughs> yeah. it's like that that's a completely different experience. You know, I, I love shows when, you know, it's kind of like the group thing and everyone's feeling the vibe and that's really great. But like, sometimes I just need to sit off to the side and just watch what the hell these people are doing and how it's even yeah. possible. My next pick is uh, kind of an obvious pick. I feel like, and you know, that's fine. Sometimes you just need the obvious ones and it's Bob Dylan and it is subterranean homesick blues. Obviously, Bob Dylan's one of the most influential artists ever. I mean, for me, my relationship to the song was, you know, one of those things that when I heard it, it was that sense of I didn't know that you could do this. I didn't know that you could, you know, be poetic in your lyrics. And, you know, it just comes off with this rapid fire delivery. And he's talking about, you know, I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. And it's just the way that he flows it's just so perfect and it really inspired me to understand more about what was actually being said in songs rather than just kind of listening to the music and you know for Bob Dylan it just opened my eyes to what was possible lyrically because you got this guy who you know his, his guitar playing is actually pretty underrated he is an excellent guitar player and an excellent harmonica player but his voice I think I mean it's not great, but like he's just speaking poetry and yeah. it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, you know, Bob Dylan opened my eyes to what was possible in terms of what you could say in a song. Mm. No, this, this song, this song in particular, I, I, I guess I was sort of surprised it was going to be this one. I don't know why. I don't know what else I would have picked from you on this, but I mean, is it, is it mainly like sort of the, the content or just, it was just like one of the first ones that sort of turned you on the Bob Dylan. It was one of the first ones that turned me on to it and it was it was the flow of his lyrics and the way mm -hmm. he was doing it so rapidly and then I watched the music video for it when he's just kind of doing the switching of the signs he's got the lyrics right. kind of said yep. and he's just dropping them on the ground in these different environments right. and I was just like yo this is this is sick and you know when I was like 12 and 13 like I you know, pretended like I knew what the fuck he was talking about because I wanted to seem cool. You were radicalized at a young age. <laughs> yeah. But then like, you know, as I grew older and I actually started to understand Bob Dylan and how he was, you know, so countercultural, like that became even more interesting to me. So, you know, it was it was really the fact that that was a song that just turned me on to it and just kind of blew my mind in terms of like what was possible. Yeah, right on. Yeah, that is. I'm gonna I'm gonna echo everything that Corey said, really, because like as a as a musician, as a songwriter. Um, but same when I was a kid heard this song in particular uh, and was like oh that's really cool like that's really fun like not processing that anything he's saying actually means something 
Um, and then getting a little older and, you know, getting a little bit more context in life and, and also context of, of his life and hearing the lyrics and understanding and being like, wow, you could really say something in a song. And there's like, you could actually say something really important. Um, and that was kind of one of my first instances in life of being like, oh, I'm, I'm going to probably just, you know, not write every song about getting dumped in sixth grade. Like I should probably like, but you know, you could, you could have a little bit more depth in a song lyrically and have a little bit more, um, of a discussion with the song. And, and I, that was like, you know, Bob Dylan is like the king of that. Yeah. Um, I also have one of my favorite Bob, just to totally derail the conversation, favorite Bob Dylan story ever. Um, he got arrested in Long Branch, New Jersey once because he was looking at a house. Uh, he was interested in buying, I guess, and was just wandering around the property. And it was like, I think like midnight and it was raining uh, and the police arrested him and he had, didn't have an ID or anything on it. And the police were like, what's your name? And he's like, Bob Joel. And they're like, all right, yeah, right. Get in the car. And his like manager had to come down and be like, yeah, this is really fucking Bob Dylan. I was like, only Long Branch, New Jersey would arrest Bob Dylan. I have no idea who he is. Well, what was he being arrested for? Was it trespassing? I, I think it was like trespassing or something. Yeah. yeah. And then like, I think they also thought that he was being a smart ass and like refusing to give the police any form of identification. And, right. Because uh, that's, and then it that's illegal. Actually be Bob Dylan. You can't, you can't yeah, wisecrack right. with police. That's not something you can do. I mean, when you're Bob Dylan, do you need ID? Like, isn't your face your ID? That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, what do you, I think they got there and the police chief was like, please, please let this guy go immediately. That's absolutely Bob Dylan. Are you fucking kidding me? Like who, why, what made you think no? Yeah, only a cop would not know who Bob Dylan is. Like that's like the only that's kind of the perfect thing. He is the counterculture, right? It <laughs> is it is a perfect thing. This cop, the authority, doesn't know about Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean the one thing that you said that really stood out to me, Steve, is like when I was first introduced to him, that was what I was listening to. I was listening to this emo pop punk yeah. stuff that was just about breaking up with girls all the time, and I was like oh, so this is just what music is. And then I, yeah. I, you know, Bob Dylan opened my eyes like, no, this isn't only what music is. And I still love those things. Those things are great. But, you know, it's not the best <laughs> lyrical exploration of anything. It's just kind of bullshit. And so Bob Dylan kind of introduced me to this idea that like, hey, it's possible to say something that isn't about your feelings getting hurt. Yeah, no one's going to be taking you know, the lyrics from like a newfound glory or a starting line song and teaching it in a history class, be like, certainly not only to just be like, so, you know, the proud boys, right? So this is kind of how this whole thing started. (laughs) And then just immediately playing my friends over you. (laughs) So the incel movement, this, this is sort of this ideology is where this is. You know, I'd never made yeah. that and connection before, <laughs> but the incels were definitely emo fans. They, they <laughs> had to be. There's no way they couldn't be. And if anything, it was just repression of whatever sort of other feelings because everyone was wearing tight pants and shirts and their hair, you know, actually styled to a side. Now they're doing it. Uh, Steve, what oh, were God. you saying? <laughs> I'm sorry. What did I just bring into I, this? <laughs> I don't know. I all of This is my fault. Um, no, and then I think... Uh, I don't have any idea I was going to say. Oh, not that those songs don't have a place. Like, there's obviously, like, those lyrics mean a lot, and they're they're great, and they're, but, like, Bob Dylan is just a different level of songwriter. And, and like you said, Corey, he's he's literally just, he's a poet that just kind of put music to his poems. And, and they're they're really 
like beautiful and his voice is um it's it's not great to put it politely but it serves a purpose in the sense that like he kind of is like just this raspy kind of just firing off these these really beautiful words that juxtaposition is kind of fun yeah, and I mean, it, it's an odd comparison, but, you know, lyrically and poetically for me, it's what also made me such a big hip hop fan because it mm-hmm. made me appreciate the level of skill and talent that it goes into weaving these words together in a way that is sonically pleasing, but also saying something at the same time. So, like, you know, hip hop at this point is probably my favorite style of music. And Bob Dylan is the reason for that because he taught me how to listen to it. No, I'm only coming on more recently. I was still emotionally stunted. I was, I, as much as I make fun of it, I was still stuck into listening to like Under Oath and Starting Line and all that sort of shit. So, all right, Steve, let's go to your next pick. What do you got? Ooh, uh, where am I at now? Um, I'm kind of jumping all over on my list. I'm going to go with uh, Say Anything uh, from the album Is a Real Boy. And I'm particularly going with the song Woe. I just like lyrically in that song, just speaking songs about like getting broken up with stuff like that. Uh, that song being super emo. That song was like, for me, uh, such a great, I guess like emo. I don't know if emo is the right word, but like it is like lyrically for me was the first time I heard a song that was like very, um, I don't know, like down and about like kind of upsetting things, but done in a way that wasn't so like, hitting the nail over the head and it was just like so tongue-in-cheek and fun and and awesome and and i don't know and also just like the the songwriting on it and the drumming and and like just the musicianship um it's just really just really perfect like it's none of it's overplayed none of it's really aggressive it's just like it's just exactly what the song needed and i i think there's an art form to that yeah i mean we talked about this album a lot last week on our one album wonders episode And, you know, we talked about it. It's a perfect album. And I think, you know, what you said, Steve, is he is talking about all the same stuff that all the other people are doing in that kind of genre, like getting broken up with. But he's doing it in such a subtle and funny and sarcastic way where he's almost making fun of himself. Oh, yeah. It's just it's it's a different take on it. So, you know, the subtlety is so important in his in his lyrics and the way he explores those same feelings that everyone else is feeling, but he's doing it in such a funny way. Well, I think too, I, I think, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. I'm just cutting everyone off today. Well, we're uh, also I, talking I, over I'm zoom. Excited. So there's this delay. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> um, I think too, like up till that point, I had heard so much music that was about stuff like that. And it was always very like opposite, like, Oh, like what was me? And this is the first time, I've kind of heard an album that it was very like self-aware like yeah. where he would even be like, I know I sound like a fucking loser for even saying this in the first place, but I'm going to say it anyway. And it's like, I, that to me was so cool and so eye-opening and was like, Oh, you could like, you'd be a little self-deprecating and, and like aware of like your, your kind of like shortcomings in life and, and still be kind of proud of the person you are. And I thought that was a really kind of cool take on, on songs, like any style of music in general. No, that was the point I was going to make was the self-awareness, especially in the line. She took pity on me horizontally, but most likely because of my band. Yeah. Like, I always loved that. I was like, oh, man, that's so that that cuts deep. But like, that's really good. Like, I really I really like that he's able to say that. But uh, and then I know we brought up Josh brought it up last week in the episode that we did. But I can't get laid in this town without these pointy fucking shoes. It's just like, oh, my God, really? This is this is amazing. No. And I mean, it was super it was super influential, too, in the way that it kind of, again, opened my eyes to the possibilities. Like I had never heard someone giving stage instructions during an album. 
I had never heard anyone doing these like spoken word introductions that actually mean something and are funny and hilarious. And, you know, I never heard a song like Admit It where it's just like Dude. a rambling fucking <laughs> madman bullshit. for six minutes. Like bullshit. <laughs> like I've never heard any of that and I didn't know it was possible. And it was like, here we go. This is the perfect fucking album. The problem though with it though is that there just wasn't anything like it at the time and there never was anything like it again. No one could recreate it. I was, and that's what upset me the most about like this song, all of these tracks. I was just like... Can anyone just do something clo- like just something close to this, something in this vein, like sonically, musically, just everything with it was just so perfectly well done that it's just like once I never heard of it again, I think I was like almost resented say anything where it's like, why did you do this to me? Why, why did, did you-, you make the perfect album and make everyone else suck? <laughs> yeah. And then also to never do something like that again. And I know we kind of touched on parts of reasons why, whether it's trying to do something different or just Max Bemis himself and everything else that he's dealing with. But, um, ah, God, there's just this album again, like I said, it's one that I always remembered where I was when I listened to it. You know, this song in particular. And yeah, it's it's just so good. I, th- I think, man, that also the, the, what is the lyric is like, I'm still, I'm still the optimist. So it's hard when all you want to be is in a dream. Yeah, yeah. I was like, man, that is, that is the most emo lyric I've ever heard. But it wasn't like a quintessential, like, paint my nails black and cry in the corner style emo. Like, I was just like, man, that just is too real and that hurts. Like it was, it was just so well executed. Like lyrics like that, where he just has these like little quips, and you're like, "Damn, dude, are you good? Like, are you, are you sure?" No, actually, it turns uh, out he was not. He was not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The best art always comes from the most fucked up people, unfortunately. Yeah, it is, and you know, we we talked all about this, but he could never do it again, and. But that's the other thing is that I don't remember another band that could make something ever close to this too. Like you said, everything else sucked after this. Yeah. Took me me a while to ever love music again. Um, (laughs) It reset the bar and no one's even come close to it at this point. Nope. Yeah. And that's that's how it's influenced me. It's made me hate music forever. (laughs) (laughs) It's made me so upset. I was like, damn it, no one could beat this. I hate all songs. What What a tough position as a musician to be in. Yeah, I mean, you just hate music. You're a musician, <laughs> and there's this thing out there that you would just never be able to attain. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that too. Oh wait, yearning, you're longing for something now. Yeah, full it's circle. It's an impossible standard. <laughs> yeah. All right, Beam. Let's go to your next one. What do you got? So my other one is what is it? This is kind of almost maybe like Bob Dylan. It's like oh, Radiohead, of course. But Radiohead's Paranoid Android, and this is. Off of OK Computer, if anyone was wondering. I don't know if that one is a question. But uh, it's a song that... I So all of my friends that, you know... I, I was still listening to all of this stuff. Like, say anything. Emo, punk, pop punk, hardcore stuff. And I never... I mean, all before that was new Metal. And then before that was Hootie and the Blowfish and Boys to Men. So, like, I just... My evolution in terms of what I was listening to music, for some reason, Radiohead just didn't, I just didn't, I didn't think I'd ever get it. I didn't think I'd connect with it. I, But then I finally just started trying to listen to it more because I was in a band with, with a guy that, that fucking loved them. And I listened to this album in particular, OK Computer. I think I was just going through them all. And I decided to listen to OK Computer while going on a run. I don't know. I think it was also too just, yeah. Well, it was also too, I think, just like the MP3 player I had. It was like, you can fit 13 songs. I'm like, well, I don't want to have to. I'm just going to throw this album on. Um, 
and OK Computer came on, or I mean, uh, sorry, a Paranoid Android came on, and, you know, I, I heard it, it starts out where it's just, you know, acoustic guitar part, you just think it's just going to be just sort of maybe this, to me, could have been just like this uninteresting song, and then it gets to sort of the second part of it where it's more of a little build up, still more of an acoustic, uh, acoustic guitar kind of type song, but then you get to... <laughs> the third part of it and you just hear Johnny Greenwood's guitar just coming in bow, and then it just goes into these awesome guitar riffs into this crazy guitar so like it just takes you on this crazy journey through four different parts and and I love the lyrics of it too like they they seem so biting where I don't I didn't really know the meaning of them and obviously for this I I, I actually kind of looked up as, in terms of what he was writing about but for some reason just the lyric God loves his children to me always was just like I'm just thinking about humanity in general and it's just like that just felt like a very sarcastic way yep God loves all of his children even these fucked up ones and turns out that this song was written about a bad experience in a Los Angeles bar with a bunch of people who were on cocaine and to just now put that in context and just hear God loves his children even this mess of fucking people who are just doing a bunch of coke and you know throwing up everywhere whatever bumping into each other and spilling drinks on each other it's just like to hear that line is hilarious and then the other line too of it um and this is really just him just taking these really dark stabs just sort of i feel like just at at other people essentially when i'm king you'll be first against the wall with your opinion which is of no consequence at all like this is at a time too where i'm into some really biting lyrics and that's definitely one of them so this opened me up to not just what other music could be and just why uh, Radiohead was so influential to so many people. It opened me up to Radiohead and realizing the genius of what they were. And I think that this song, even though apparently it was a joke of them writing three songs and putting them together in one, is such a great example of it all. Oh, man. I love Radiohead. Uh, but every musician, like you just have to. It's just the law. Um, but they are, I think for me, um, one of the first times I kind of experienced songwriting as far as like using chord progressions that aren't um, so major and stuff like that, but still creating like songs, songs that are like crazy, but also catchy. That was like a very, I was like, you, I didn't really realize how that was possible. So they were one of those ones that like made me kind of stop and think as a songwriter and a musician and, and like, well, aspiring to be at the time. Um, and like also hearing songs like you said how it's like multiple songs in one that their songs like are are linear they don't circle back a lot of times to like a chorus or something like that they'll kind of just keep chugging along and hit a different part and that kind of like not prog but like that prog kind of thought process that like for me was they were one of the first bands i'd ever heard kind of do that do it tastefully um because there's a lot of bands out there and artists that try and do that and really don't succeed and, and it's kind of just a total mess they were able to kind of like do it in a polished sense that was just like really mind blowing when I heard it the first time. Them and every time I die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, and it's remarkable the way that they do it because it is so out of left field when they come in with that kind of guitar, just like, bam. I was not expecting it. Yeah. And, it, then, and it gave me the boost on my run that I needed. I was like, Oh, all right, here we go. Yeah. And then like, it flows perfectly into this next part, and the riff is so good. Dun, 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 dun. And then you just have that solo. Yeah. Just, like, just, just him just squealing. going completely crazy on the guitar. And that's the thing is, like, it is such, like, a shift, but it doesn't feel, like, out of place or messy. It feels, like, 
okay, this is just a tonal shift in the song and it works. And so like their ability to do that and experiment with like different styles, you know, it, they, they are a band that just opened my eyes to like what's possible because I, I think often of the song Idiotech and just like, Dude. what the fuck? This is like a rock song? Is I it? didn't understand I how, because it rocks hard. Yeah, it rocks so hard, but it's like an electronic song and like the way that the drums hit in that and it's just, oh, I mean, I, I Radiohead is fucking incredible. I They blow my mind constantly. I don't understand, like, yeah, and how they're just, they're somehow popular music. Like this, this was the album where they they were doing the popular music thing. I'd read the fact that they apparently were touring with the Landis Morissette. Like, just imagine that. Like, how is that working? That's the magic of them. Like, that is what I mean. Like, they have this mass appeal to every single person, and their music that they're writing is like kind of sonically the way like dream, your dreams unfold, where you're like sitting in the kitchen, and then all of a sudden you turn your head and you're on an airplane, and you're like, <laughs> when, when the fuck did this happen? And you're just cool with it. Like that's kind of how their music works. It's a similar um, feel to like listening to Pink Floyd. I feel like sometimes because I get a similar feeling like that one you described there, except it's in a submarine. <laughs> different, <laughs> different, different modes mode of pressure. <laughs> No, I, I, I completely agree with you. And it's like, and I'm thinking about it because here's a bunch of people who love music talking about how much they love Radiohead. There's a fucking reason there is like they're as respected and as talked about and as referenced as they are. The one thing I wanted to bring up, though, about this song, now that I know that it involved people with cocaine, it almost feels like, you know, the beginning of an evening, just kind of coasting along. That's kind of almost how the song goes. And then you take a bump of cocaine and you're like, Bow! and then it's just like that, you know, all of a sudden you're up. And then it has the come down, which is sort of that sort of that, that, I guess, the fourth part where you just feel like you're floating. And then the second part comes back because you just did another bump. <laughs> so that's almost I was like, wow, this almost just sounds like a night of doing cocaine, I guess, this is sort of what this is. Having never done cocaine. I, I haven't either. I've I, never done it. I can't speak to it, but it sounds like it. I right. Guess. That's, it's portrayed in movies maybe that way. Steve, what do you think about cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're the three least <laughs> the loaded question we're the three least qualified people to, to, to answer this question I think eh, that's fair <laughs> no I mean and the one thing that I just wanted to bring up is the music video for Paranoid Android dude speaking of bizarre and like what the fuck is happening what the fuck is happening in that music video I don't know it's great. I fucking love it. Yeah, no, it's an I mean, animated mess of things, but I love it. That was the first time I heard the song was watching the music video on MTV oh, wow. in like nineteen whatever, ninety seven, eight, and ninety seven. I was yeah. just like, what in the actual fuck? I don't think I'm allowed to watch this. I'm like ten years old at this point. I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, I, think, I think I'm gonna get in trouble for watching this. I'm not really sure. I I literally asked. Uh, I was like, when when I asked my wife, I was like, when we have a child, like. Can, can I can I introduce them to radio? Like, how early on do I introduce them to Radiohead? How much am I going to fuck with them? <laughs> if I, like, if I put on, uh, if I put on Kid A, which has Idiotech on it, like, if I just had that entire album, like, what does that do to someone when that's, like, your first thing of music that you listen to? I think it actually makes your brain explode. I, <laughs> I love them so much. But this, it, this, this song encapsulated changed, everything I love about them. Idiotech changed who I was on a molecular level. Like, not on purpose. <laughs> I was a different person after that. Like, my DNA is now not the same. That makes sense. Yeah. It's very rhythmic. (laughs) Idiotech is fucking just, like, 
I, I don't even know how to describe what listening to that song is. Like, just go listen to it and just really listen to it. It is fucking mind-blowing. I, yeah. I don't understand. It's so fucking good. Um, Steve, let's go to your next one. What do you got? Is this your last one? Okay. It's my last one. Oh, right. nice. It's my last one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> so I went with, and this one, I just want to, I'm going to, like, preface this with, I have been a Queen fan um, my entire life. You don't have to explain uh, yourself. <laughs> don't. There... I'm not putting this in here because of the movie. Um <laughs> Anyway, Dude, so fuck Queen, that movie. Uh, I still haven't seen the movie. The album, I don't, yeah. So I'm going with Queen from uh, the album Jazz, and I'm going with Don't Stop Me Now. It's just one of my earliest memories in life uh, was my dad was a massive, massive Queen fan. And we had a we had an upright piano, um, which was like horribly out of tune. My parents just bought it being like, maybe one day one of us will play it. And literally no one in my family played it. Um, except for me, because my dad would put on Queen albums. Uh, particularly this album, and he would just kind of plot me in front of the piano and be like, please be a Hollywood. Um, and would just like, let me try and figure out these songs. Uh, and Don't Stop Me Now was like, I never, I honestly never, ever, I should go back now and try and That's a high bar, it, man. That's that's a, um, that's a crazy thing yeah, to do. Be like, hey, play one. this. And I remember, yeah, just figure it out. But I would start kind of like hitting the right notes in the right key of the song, and that was kind of my first introduction to like, Hey, you can maybe be musical. Um, and that, so that song always like really stood out. And obviously Queen is an iconic band that goes about saying Freddie Mercury is one of the most talented rock singers of all time. Um, and I just, I just love it. And that song in particular, just like gets me pumped. Like you can't listen to that song and not get hyped. You just like want to just start like high kicking things off a shelf. It just, <laughs> it just gets you going. It's my automatic pump up song, Friday night going out song. I have to put it on. I mean, it's gonna be mine now. I mean, now, now that you really put it that way, like it's that um, rich girl from Hall of Notes, maybe. Uh, I don't know, but no, oh, yeah. it's. Uh, but no, this 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 is such a great song, I, and I'm glad this is the the Queen song that you chose, just because exactly like this song gets your blood like pumping, like uh, your if your hip isn't if your hips aren't shaking at least just a little bit to the beat, like maybe you're dead inside. I don't know, but also too when you said like high kicking off shelves. All this song, all the song now, and it's and I blame the movie, not the biopic pick, but the Shaun of the Dead, where they're oh, just to the beat, just beating on the zombies with some with some, whatever objects they had in their hands. Dude, Shaun of the Dead There's was no better use. Shaun of the Dead was my introduction to, to this. Song. I thought you were about to say my introduction to Queen, and no, I was no, just no. Like, what I the mean, fuck happened to you? Obviously, I'd heard Queen. Like everyone heard Bohemian Rhapsody, another one bites the dust, you know, right? All those things, and but like the first time that I was really introduced to Queen and like did a deep dive was after seeing Shaun of the Dead <laughs> and the scene where they're beating the fucking zombie with pool cues to the beat of "Don't Stop Me Now," and now anytime I hear the song, that scene just plays in my head. Yeah. No. And that's kind of like my baseline. Anytime uh, our songs have ever been used in like film or commercial or any of that stuff, I'm like, can, is it going to be like this? Don't stop me now, Shaun of the Dead scene. Otherwise, I'm not interested. Like that is <laughs> that is the most like epic use of music in film I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's perfect. And it was like, as a huge Queen fan, the first time I saw that movie, that scene came on, and I was like, actually screaming. It was it's so good. I gotta believe that, like, your management is like, nope, Steve apparently is stuck on this fucking Shaun of the Dead thing. Um, we have all these opportunities, <laughs> but we keep later. passing them up. 
like, you guys sure you don't want to use your song in a Pepsi commercial? I'm like, are they going to hit a zombie to the song? And I'm not interested. <laughs> is, is the zombie getting hit in the head with a paddleboard? Nope. To my drum beat? Yeah. To then my, no, yeah. I'm fucking yeah, out. Hard pass. <laughs> Not, I mean, it's such it's such a weird thing. Like that was my introduction, but then like when you just listen to the song on its own, like I think Hot Take that's the best Queen song. I I think it's absolutely <sighs> brilliant. I mean, it's hard. I, I Bicycles agree. up there. Yeah. Just like I'm sorry, just yeah. repeatedly hearing "I want to ride my" like just that going over and over. Like I remember someone introduced me to that. I'm like, wait, this is an actual song. Bicycle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That song was just like a casual top 40 song, and it was just about a guy really wanting to ride his bike. Like, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Like, only Queen could have done that. And talk like, if my band did that, people would be like, who the fuck are these guys? They should, like, I'm never going to listen to this band. But Here's the thing, Mercury Steve. does it, and you're like, this is amazing. Here's the thing. You thought that. You know who didn't think that? Queen. Yeah. And look what yeah, happened. Exactly. <laughs> Monstrous success. <laughs> Yeah, you guys should write write more songs about riding your bike or or skateboard, a scooter, skateboard. whatever you want to do. <laughs> your favorite mode of transportation uh, that isn't a submarine or plane. Tour de France sponsor. Yes, that's. <laughs> I'm in. This is wait. Okay, so that's it. What what if there aren't zombies getting hit over the head though? Yeah, then then if it's a song about a bike, we're in. We'll, <laughs> you throw us in that, we're good. <laughs> oh man, what a pick! Great great song. All right, so we are going to go to our final pick. Beam and I collaborated on this last one. First, some context. My senior year, your junior year? Was that when we started this? I think so. Whatever. Late on in high school, we started a metal band. It was called When Tomorrow Oh, oh I'm sorry. That's what you're referring to? Yeah, it was <laughs> It was exactly what you described. Yeah, we, we started a metal band called When Tomorrow Fails because we were super dark and... You know, we weren't very good, but man, I, could we fucking... I had fucking... no say in this name whatsoever. <laughs> man, could we write a fucking breakdown? Let me tell you. <laughs> we did have a pretty good breakdown. There was one good breakdown. So when we went to make this list, we were like, all right, we got to pick something that was inspirational when tomorrow fails. And we went with Norma Jean's Memphis Will Be Laid to Waste. Beam, what is this song? What does this song mean to you? Well, it was literally my introduction to hardcore, or at least like what this iteration of hardcore was and the fucking beginning is just like it's just like him almost like letting out like his version of a godzilla scream almost in a way and And clears his throat right before he and clears no no does the scream then clears his throat to do the rest (laughs) of the song it was like oh sorry no that was him just getting some phlegm out yeah uh no it's it's yeah the 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 clearing of the throat is just like so number one it's a christian hardcore band first off and two it's like you're trying to flex and be like and then to go in which he had and still has one of and i think the best scream in all of hardcore and and the the dude is so dynamic and all over the place but this song was just so heavy it's the dissonant chords just throughout just breakdown after breakdown it's dark it's brooding I loved every minute of it. Yeah. I Still mean, do. Yeah, same. And it's such a perfect song. I mean, it is also my introduction to hardcore. I actually saw them live before I had ever heard a song. Um, our good friend Mike, he took me to a show with Stretch Armstrong and The Takeover and Norma Jean. And they just had these strobe lights going and everything was so chaotic and energetic and I was just instantly in at that moment, and I then went and listened to everything that they ever did, which at that point was just that, it was that, that album yeah, it was and that then album. the Ludacris album that they 
put under under a different name before not important um but this song i mean it's just incredible uh steve what are your thoughts on norma jean so i am so glad that you guys picked this as one of your influential albums i for me like i played in a bunch of awful awful metal bands when i was younger um it was like probably my favorite time of playing music in my life and that that like album norma jean i i wore like a norma jean shirt to like high school every single day of my life same. Um, I had a hoodie. Song, you did. I still remember that hoodie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Every day. And this this song was like the my template for every metal song I ever tried to write. It, it was just like my go to. I thought it was so incredible. I thought like their artwork was so edgy and cool. Like all of that. Like I just wanted to emulate them so much when I was going through my metal phase. And not even a phase, because I still to this day, the song <laughs> is just really good. It's a great song. Like, oh, it's like, fantastic. The fact yeah. that it, it's, just, it's just really good. It, it like, kind of captures an energy in, in the song. Like, even, like the, the, like, the vocal chain he uses, there was, like, a bit of, like, distortion on it, too. It just, it like, just sounded so good. It was, like, such a crispy, like, uh, and his voice is just thick. It's just all of it. The drumming, the guitar, like, it was, it was my first intro to, like, this is, what like music should be this is awesome <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know about that last part but i mean <laughs> yeah i might have been wrong <laughs> no i mean at that time because this whole album is right. is is great like i mean it's it's very simple if you recreated it it would probably would have just sounded like the exact same thing uh played over again uh it, 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 i mean they went through so many fucking lead singers just in the interim before yeah. they got to this latest guy which i think norma jean got canceled Norma Jean's definitely canceled. Yeah. Oh yeah. Didn't see that coming. I mean, I should have, but I didn't. The Christian hardcore man getting canceled. All right, back to bless the martyr, yeah. kiss the child, better times. Uh, so we think. I don't know. I don't know what they were like then. <laughs> True. Uh, but you know, Steve, what you said, they were so influential on us in that band too. I mean, when Joey and I were writing the guitar parts, like it was basically the bled in Norma Jean that we were just like <laughs> channeling. And it was oh, all man. these disparate parts that, like, we just fit together. We were like, no choruses, no bridges, no songwriting conventions, just parts, 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 parts. <laughs> yeah, and I had to read Corey's lyrics, and I don't think I ever truly knew what they meant. I don't think I knew what they meant because I was just trying to be weird. <laughs> no, but I, I, everyone, that's when you when you had a metal band at that time period. That's just what you did. You just wrote, it was like word salad. And you were like, "This sounds sick," and that was it. That was how you wrote every song. They, the they, they were they were dark and and maybe slightly violent. I think there were some knives involved, windows, yeah. maybe some yeah. bedside stuff. I think it was it was before all of us critically listened to Bob Dylan. <laughs> I don't I don't know if we're if we're following the correct timeline. Corey had listened to Bob Dylan at this point. I had, but I definitely didn't understand. <laughs> So I was just like, yeah, Bob would write this. <laughs> Bob would not. Nah, Bob would be like, what is this? <laughs> no, then, I mean, the other part is the ending with Aaron Weiss mm -hmm. from Me Without You. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was I'm also, sorry, I forgot we were still talking about this song. <laughs> that was also super influential because I can recall just, like, standing in my basement trying to emulate his vocal style where it's just like this yelling talking thing that he does and i was just like this is the coolest like style of singing i've ever heard it's so emotional and raw and he got only got better with it too yeah. like he found his lane and he improved upon it if we're talking about aaron weiss obviously for me without you like that's a guy who 
I even thought one of their more recent, or maybe it wasn't this album, but the, the, maybe the album before it, that, you know, even Me Without You was still making stuff. But yeah, the part where he comes in and you just got fucking Josh Scoggin yelling fashion behind him the entire uh-huh. time and just like the song's really kind of coming to its, like, end, like, it's, it's perfect. It is like the perfect climax of a song. There was that one time, though, when we performed, performed as When Tomorrow Fails. I'll never forget this and probably should have. Where I got a concussion. Yeah, we played all of three shows. <laughs> like, we played live three times, and one of which... I got injured. Our lead singer got hit with the fucking headstock of a bass guitar. From the former lead singer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and it was, like, the perfect thing, because as he was swinging his bass, like, beam was head-bobbing, or w- w- head-banging down sure. into it as it was coming up. It was, like... It was quite a thing. And then you kept going. I kept going. I didn't get knocked out. (laughs) I got stunned for a second. And then picked it right back up and we just kept going. Nothing like playing three shows and having a near career ending injury. It was at school. (laughs) Yeah, it was in our school cafeteria (laughs) and fucking Beam gets concussed. (laughs) I took the SATs the next day. I got into college with those scores. Like, I... I went to the prom later that night. Like I, I did things. Amazing. Oh man, fucking metal bands in high school. But I mean, Norma Jean is just epic. I think the fact that so many people, you know, point to Norma Jean as an introduction mm-hmm. to metal music as such an influence on their shitty high school metal bands. Like, yeah. it's it's such a great song and such a great album and just love Norma Jean. It completely so informed everything else I listened to after that. Um, it's why it was like when we did when tomorrow feels like finally I get to play this music. Cause all <laughs> we were playing was like either screamo or pop punk stuff. And it was like, we've moved on from this. We've gotten more aggressive. Let's just scream. Just metal. Time. Just yeah. Only screaming all the time. And uh, yeah, I, I, this fucking a bolorama from, from every time I died. Like it was almost kind of a hard pick for me between those two uh, in terms of just, uh, you know, metal music for me. But yeah, this, this Norma Jean, I'll never forget. Never forget this album. Pretty much then, oh God, the aftermath and then everything after that. It's just like, eh, all right. Steve, any closing thoughts on Norma Jean? What a great part of my life. You also mentioned the bled. I like haven't thought of that band in a decade and I'm so happy. Like this is, this is just bringing me straight joy right now hearing all these bands. And, and it's also great that everyone, um, everyone who's into music seems like they had the same universal experience of trying to emulate Norma Jean and failing miserably. It's good to know that we've all experienced that phase of life. Which like what they, <laughs> what they were doing wasn't that hard. I think like, uh, right. I mean, no, it was more on us. Like we just kind of stunk, but, no, yeah. I mean, it was really fun to just do breakdowns and do dissonance. Like the first time I played a dissonance chord on a guitar, I was like, whoa, I can make this sound. This is sick. How hard is it? <laughs> it's not, not that hard. hard. It's really that not that hard at all. That song was the first time I heard it like used like well. So, and I was like, whoa, this is sick. This is, this is like, I didn't even, everyone who could do it, I was like, you're a guitar wizard. And then I was like, I'm going to learn how to play guitar and try and do this. And I was like, oh, this is not. This is not hard. All right, cool. Sick. This is not hard at all. And then I just <laughs> sat there squealing on my guitar playing dissonance. Then, then that was a problem is when everyone learned like, oh, yeah, it's really easy to do it. They, everyone just kept doing it. Everyone just did it's that. That's all it was. Yeah. It was kind of like when, Actually, uh, re- no, I was going to say when, it came, when Between the Pair and Me came out, it's like, all right, sweeps. That's the next one. <laughs> sweeps and arpeggios. <laughs> sick. Oh, man. And, yeah, in retrospect now, for, if we're talking about influential, this, this like Norma Jean, was influential in the fact that they absolutely just like 
stalled my musical talent for years because I was just like trying to play dissonance instead of getting better at an instrument. So now, now I'm a little that, pissed at them actually. That's so I'm funny though because drumming wise they were on point for this album. <laughs> no, they were sick. I, I'm, I'm just I'm being facetious. Like the drumming was sick. I think that like metal music in general was was I got into it because of Norma Jean and then kind of went down a rabbit hole trying to like I remember. Um, trying to learn like how to play misery signal songs oh. and, and between the barrier to me and like stuff like that and was was really um i like for me it was like wow these guys are not only quick and and all that but they're so tight um and there is like such an art form to it and for me as a drummer like it really kind of opened up a whole new world of of like capabilities on a drum kit so how- that i really do like owe a lot to, to them for that so how does how does that sort of kind of and I guess we're well. I guess we'll drop the Norma Jean thing now. But how does that sort of? I guess how does it inform your drum playing now? You know, like in terms of like I, I got to assume you're not playing like Norma Jean style drumming. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not just ripping breakdowns. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is just like the the technicalness. Like there's a, kind of from that point on, I started listening to more stuff that like there's just a lot of subtlety in drumming. That like there's a lot of nuances where you can kind of play something that is busy but make it sound like not so busy so it fits the, the music and doesn't kind of overstep on other instruments and um but even so like a lot of metal drumming the best part like even even taking an influence from a breakdown like the part of breakdowns that's really great is that the drums leave space for everything to yeah. kind of like operate and there is like it's a lot of it's like what you're not playing and that kind of helps like move that along and that was something that was like oh like shit like i can i can not play something so crazy here and it makes the part better as opposed to just being crazy busy because i did grow up listening to travis barker and like all of his fills are insane it's like so kind of those like differences where you can kind of give and take and, and as a drummer you don't always need to be playing um the busiest thing you don't always need to be playing like the simplest thing there's moments you could pick and choose and that was like kind of kind of cool it kind of like balanced everything out for me a little bit yeah steve i think you just hit why beam and i never got good at being musicians because we just never got out of the trying to do dissonance chords well no we didn't we didn't take what we did we didn't take what we learned and try to apply it to other things like no let's just do that let's Let's just just do that that's fucking sweet i'm glad i'm glad you were mature and like got something out of it we we never did and actually like applied it to something else you're like oh wait no i can use this in this different way listen this is a lesson in life this is this isn't just like this is only sticks to this music that kind of thing no he's uh he's an actual musician yeah he's far better (laughs) he's far better a person than us (laughs) no not at all i just got lazy that's all it was was oh okay that's all i'll make it all yeah you guys are good trust me (laughs) That's not true. But looking uh, looking into the future, though, a little bit, how how uh, has the, I guess, what has the response been from Swirl uh, as of late? It's been really good. It, I think um, for us, like, we kind of settled into, like, a niche for ourselves. And I think, like, we kind of explored a lot of different things sonically as, as a band. Um, and this was one of those things that, like, we kind of just, like, leaned into it. And a lot of people, I think, liked it because it was stuff that was like reminiscent of our older stuff but also had a new kind of take on it um and and for us like we kind of just learned the best way to do that is just to write songs that feel good for ourselves like we didn't go into any of this stuff with an agenda we just kind of wrote songs and we're like yeah these are young guys fun songs and and um people seem to be really pumped about that like everyone who's, who's listened we've gotten a lot of good feedback and, and 
uh, I don't know, we're just, we're excited to like kind of keep it rolling and, and keep providing people with tunes that they can, you know, sing and, and dance to and also um, hopefully like take something away from lyrically and, and have that like connect with, you know, any facet of their life. No, right on. And I guess what I'm kind of curious then too is you said you were watching that sort of uptick in listenership. Uh, are, are people now coming, you know, are, is that going up again, I guess? It's like, oh, these guys are back now. Yeah, yeah, we've seen, we've been really fortunate to, um, like, Spotify as a whole. It's just a really, really, like, great, they're just so good to us. They throw us on a bunch of playlists, stuff like that. So it's really, like, expanded our listener base. Um, and we just kind of keep seeing it climb, which is great. I mean, it's what any band wants. Like, our, our whole thing is we just want to keep creating stuff that we enjoy um, and that people enjoy and, and have it just grow and grow. So we're, we're really, like, fortunate and really pumped to kind of see our numbers just kind of keep ticking up. Yeah, I mean, People who listen to our show, all like twenty five of them, go listen to <laughs> this is Young Rising Sun Swirl. Yeah, this it's is a great Spotify. way to promote a new album. Just so you know, <laughs> it's on Spotify. Uh, where else can you find it, Steve? Is it on Bandcamp? Uh, you know, I don't know. I should know these things. This is where this is where Andy should be. This is why you don't interview the drummer. I know nothing. Um, like from the business side, I literally just like write. Andy and I will just write the songs and then. Uh, We'll record everything, and then like once that happens, I black out. I'm just like, all right, I'll hit the drums and you need me. Otherwise, I have no idea. The business aspect is not my thing. Um, no, but it's, it should be like you know, Apple Music, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, be. all your all your streaming services, all those. Uh, it's distributed through uh, our good friends over at Level Music, and and they're great at getting getting our songs into the hands of everyone on whatever platform they need need it on. So, well, hopefully now you've come out of this blackout. Do you know? I mean, you mentioned that there may be some new songs kind of, I guess, sort of that would be tied to this album that might be coming out soon. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our general plan, um, and this is not really official at the moment, um, but is good. Let's talk about it. Like it's concrete. Yeah. We're going to, I'm really going to put this out there. Uh, our singer is going to call me the second this comes out and be like, dude, what the fuck? Um, no, our, we're, our general plan is to continue to, to just like release, uh, a batch of songs and, and uh, potentially add some more to this and kind of have it like a full a full like a deluxe version perhaps um, and with a ton of songs digitally as well as uh, maybe even a vinyl in the future so Ooh. we'll see people like that hard copy nope, no uh, yeah exactly which we're pumped about we had we only had vinyl for one of our EPs uh, a while back um, which none of us remembered to get and then found the money eBay for like way more expensive than I was willing to pay for my own music so uh, if anyone out there wants to mail me one I'd love to have one of our old vinyls I'll trade you one of the new ones for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean Steve I'm really sorry that you're going to get fired for coming on the podcast <laughs> and uh, talking <laughs> talking nonsense it's really unfortunate you won't be around for that <laughs> sorry I guess I shouldn't have picked up on me there might be new music coming out part and circling back around my bad uh, you know, it happens. <laughs> that, that's all good. I'm, now I'm just, when that happens, I'll have to just become an official member of the podcast. You just got to stop blacking out, man. You just have to stop blacking yeah. out is all. You're, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> yeah, man. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, go check out Young Rising Suns on Spotify. Their new album is called Swirl. Look maybe Apple Pod, maybe Apple Music. We don't know. Maybe other platforms. It's definitely on there. <laughs> it's definitely on Spotify. That's where I listen to it. So go check them out um, and look out for new music from them to come. Uh, Maybe. We don't know. 
<laughs> Again, we, we're not entirely sure. Maybe Steve will be a part Allegedly. of it. Maybe he won't. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> no, but Steve, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, likewise, guys. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, it was it was fun kind of going down memory lane with some of the our terrible metal bands, <laughs> all that. I almost called an audible even, and uh, wanted to throw an under oath album on there, but that's for a different podcast, another day. Would wouldn't be upset about that. Would either. not be upset at all. So uh, you all can follow us on Instagram at Back Porch Media, on Twitter at Porchback Media. You're the one that knows those. Uh, I yeah. created them. I just forgot. Them. <laughs> much much like Steve, I blacked out after I made them. <laughs> Uh, and you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those things. Rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Whatever they tell you to do, do those don't, things. Don't unsubscribe. Please don't unsubscribe. That's no, not, but then resubscribe. I don't know. I don't I don't know if I want that either. Did they just, say that? I, I, don't, I don't know if I've heard anyone say that. All right. But that's it from us, Steve. It was great. Uh, Beam, anything? No, I just apparently all we do is nostalgia stuff, so that's fine. <laughs> Stick to the nostalgia. <laughs> that's that's our lane. See y'all later. Bye. Bye. Bye.